listening to the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast, the Wednesday edition, where I go solo and basically just share some insight into some things I hope that we'll find to make your life less stressful and find better health. So I've made a commitment to read a book every week, although sometimes it's turning into more like 10 to 14 days, but I'm still getting it done. I'm on my third book. And right now I'm, I'm reading a book called Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity by David Allen. And the original publication was released in 2002, and there's been since the, the, obviously the revised ed- edition. And it had some great insight because I've been reading some other things on, you know, positive psychology and habit forming and habit loops and, you know, our thoughts and mindfulness, just some bunch of different stuff. Because I believe it's one thing for me to share the knowledge of a healthy lifestyle. I know what foods are going to make you well. I know what activities are going to make you well. And, but we're in such a unique time and place in our world where we are constantly bombarded with information, with, um, you know, stresses that the majority of our previous ancestors never had to deal with. So this century has been really interesting. You know, we have more of a luxurious life. We have many more amenities that make life so, you know, quote unquote easier, but we're more stressed out than ever before. We're in a sicker mental state and we're in a sicker health state. You know, we have the largest percentage of um, addicts in any history of the United States as far as our adult cohort. And it's a, a bit overwhelming when you start to think about it. But it comes to the point that something has to be done. I mean, we just can't keep, you know, living day to day, you know, surfing from one day to the next without really sitting down and thinking, how can I get a better handle on this stress? What can I do to minimize the influx of information and stress that's in my life? And I think that's why we're seeing such a huge... Uh, desire and interest in minimalism and, you know, removing not only the, the physical clutter from our home, but we also need to remove the mental clutter from our minds. And, you know, the more I, I read about this amazing thing between the our two ears called the brain, the more I'm intrigued and the more I'm, I'm just absolutely amazed at our ability to do what we can do with our behaviors, but then, you know, beyond what we can do, some amazing things, you know, people put people on the moon and all the inventions in the last hundred years. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely incredible. Yet at the same time, we struggle with sometimes with the most, you know, mundane things. Um, you know, we get overwhelmed and we just, we just say we, we don't have enough time. So what do we do? We numb ourselves in front of the television. We, you know, we get addicted to social media. We, Instead of interacting with, you know, people at dinner, we are interacting with this this little electronic device that we hold in our hands. And so there's a lot going on, but this right now, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, why we are so anxious and why we have so many things on our mind. And as a doctor, I can understand this very well. Um, now imagine if you, you know, our physician, um, and you not only have your own personal life and stresses, but then you go to work, and then you have people tell you, 
their stresses and they want you to help them fix it and they're ill and they want you to give prescribed medications or you know they want to know why they can't get their diabetes under control or why their hypertension is still active or why they're depressed or why their kid is acting out or you know why were they diagnosed with cancer why did their loved one die from a heart attack what could have been done to prevent it you know and then you have the new added stress of an overwhelming burden of administrative issues you know there's a lot of laws that are forcing physicians to go to electronic health records which i understand but i think it was implemented in a very poor fashion um there's not one uh, cohesive uh, electronic medical record that allows physicians to you know train independently and it's not user friendly um a lot of these were not designed and by physicians, for physicians, um, you know, specialties have different needs in an EMR electronic medical record than a primary care physician would, and you know, some of them are very expensive. Um, and then, you know, you have that the added burden task of you know a doctor is now going from you know just dealing with the patient and trying to take care of the patient in a very time constraint time or time constraint to dealing with medical record keeping because we can't bill if we don't finish the record and send it to the insurance company. So if you don't bill, you don't get paid. And so then the administration's like, hey, you know, we need productivity. We need you to move. We need to see you to see more patients. So now we have a frustrated patient. We have a frustrated doctor. And we wonder why doctors have the highest suicide rate of any profession. And, you know, we lose 400 physicians a year to suicide. And I think that's such a shocking number, if you think about the number of medical students in a class, is anywhere, I mean, about average of, let's say if there's 100, that would be the equivalent of maybe anywhere from one to four medical classes a year. And so there's just a lot to think about. So the next time you go see your doctor, have have some some grace and be patient and kind because, honestly, there's so much paperwork that people don't understand for example that cat scan that needs to be done and the calls that need to be done by your doctor in order to get it prepared you know then you have insurance asking questions you have labs returning you have abnormal labs that need to be dealt with you have co-workers that are no longer you know they're on vacation you have to monitor their patients you're on call you have to deal with the hospital calling you you have your inpatient you have your family allegation your kids calling their sick husbands doing this i mean there's so much that a physician is an incredible person, one, just to even go through the stresses of going to medical school, taking on an unbelievable amount of debt to take care of people who are now, you know, there are many, I've had many patients that are very um, kind and saying, you know, thankful for any help that we could provide. But then you have, you have websites that people who only go to typically, typically, um, that are where they're disgruntled talking about a doctor how whatever they did but a doctor by legally is bound unable to respond so now you have not only an unfair advantage whereas a patient can go badmouth the physician and potentially you know keep other patients from seeking help from a who would otherwise be a very good physician i've you know i've had patient a patient tell put on mind that i was not um, a good doctor for her because she, I just had, you know, one, one thing to say, well, yeah, I tell everyone about lifestyle and I'm sorry that you don't like 
to hear the message that you need to do whatever. Um, but I'm, doesn't mean I shouldn't tell you those things just because you don't want to hear them. And so, you know, that's, that is the, the thing we have. We have patient customer satisfaction scores, um, dictating our ability to actually be physicians. So we should, we want to do the right thing, but our hands are being bound by the very people who are trying to help in the administration who, um, is not helping either or the government. So, you know, I think we're going to see a much larger crisis with healthcare, and it's not going to be the cost, um, although that is a, obviously a, a tremendous issue. But it's going to be the lack of physicians because peop- our physicians are going to either be moving out of the country <laughs> to practice, stop practicing altogether, drop down to part time, or you know, doing other other tasks um, that could provide with their medical knowledge, like doing research or something like that. So. You know, that's a lot to think about, and um, I have a lot of ideas how I can help my fellow physicians, and I'm working towards that. But I just want to leave that message with you guys out there who are listening, who are potential patients for physicians. You know, shake their hand out the door and say, you know, thank you for all that you've done and all the sacrifices you are to actually get here to take care of me. Because, you know what, when you have a sick loved one, you're going to be very thankful that that doctor spent, you know, a good portion of their lives training for that very moment to take care of someone. And I just hope, um, you know, out there to my fellow physicians, thank you also for everything that you've done and all your sacrifices. And, uh, again, we need to work to take care of each other ourselves, and then we can also take care of our patients. So I'll get on that little side tangent, but I just wanted to, you know, this one is kind of short exactly, um, in the book, um, getting things done. I've actually, as I read, I take notes. I actually type them into a document because it's just so fascinating to me. I want to be able to read them again, you know, the highlighted components of a book because I don't want to forget, you know, if it, if it meant something for me to highlight it, well, then it's probably something worth me, you know, reading over and over again or even listening to, um, so that I don't forget it. So, you know, if you read a book that, you know, outside of a, a fiction book, you know, some type of book like I'm reading now, if you highlight something, you take notes, read it into some type of um, recorder and then play it back to yourself and, you know, make your own little podcast to yourself um, about what is helpful. And I learned that little trick from a gentleman named John Asaraf from Neurogym. And again, that's an amazing program as well. Um, That's for another day. Maybe I can actually interview him someday on the podcast. He's, He's a brilliant man. So, um, basically what I wanted to mention to you guys is in the book, he, he has us do this like little mental exercise and I want you to do it too. Okay. So basically write down the situation right now that's most on your mind. Like what is the most pressing thoughts that you have that's been bothering you? Okay. Now your next thing is to describe in a single written sentence, your intended successful outcome for this problem or situation. Now, what does that look like? You need, you need to write down the very next physical action required to move that situation forward. The value of thinking gives feelings of motivation to actually do something about the situation. So, you know, people think a lot of a problem, but they never think about, about the problem. So, What happens is the exercise requires you to structure your thinking towards an outcome and action 
And that doesn't happen without really serious conscious effort. So, you know, it's a very common reaction or it's common for us to react without necessarily thinking. It goes back to the habit loop. It goes back to, you know, our brain wants to use as minimal power as possible. So it just reacts out of a habit versus thinking, is this the, the, the actual action I want to proceed with? Um, so, you know, we're never really taught to think about our work before we can do it. You know, the reason things are on your mind is that you want to be different than it currently is. And you haven't clarified the outcome, decided on the physical action, and put what um, <clears throat> the author says is reminders of the outcome in the system you trust. And in the rest of the book, apparently, he talks about the system, which I haven't gone through yet. But it makes complete sense. So if, even if we have a to-do list, the to-do list doesn't tell us what the next action is. And then there's not reminders of where the to-do list is is, you know, maybe the reminder is sticking it in a magnet on your your uh, refrigerator, you know, the list. You know, I, would th I think a simple one would be like a list of things that you need to buy at the grocery store. Well, you write it on wherever you are. You, you put it in a place that you know, like, okay, you're out of um, grapes. So you write grapes on there. You're out of almond milk. You write almond milk. You write, you're out of Ezekiel bread. So you write down Ezekiel bread. And then you have that in a spot that's going to remind you to take care of it the next time you go to the grocery store. But for me, for example, when I need to bring something to work the next day and I'm worried that I'll forget, I actually tape a reminder, take blah, blah, blah to work right above the doorknob on my way out. Because I know that's going to be the last action I take before I leave my apartment. So otherwise, I will very likely forget or I will wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, oh, I can't forget this. So to take it out of my, you know, my part of my brain that's constantly bugging me about it, saying, oh, you need to do this, oh, you need to do this, oh, you need to do this, you know, that broken record syndrome, write it down, take an action, place it in a plot spot that's going to remind you, you know, you know and trust that you will not miss it, just like the sticky above the doorknob. And that is makes so much sense to me that I wish I would have found this book when it first came out. And I think, honestly, there's some something treasured here, something, something here that I haven't quite figured out that I think is going to help a lot of people, especially my physician friends. And uh, I certainly think there will be some medical schools or some medical students that uh, will be, be seeing a copy, namely my, my child, my daughter, and her boyfriend. So I hope... Uh, that was helpful for you guys. If anything, you know, pick up the copy of You're Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity by David Allen. And uh, let me know what you think about it. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me because, you know, we're only here on this earth for a short period of time and we each have our purpose. And um, we need to make, you know, give our, our heads space in order to be creative and thoughtful and, and think about solutions to these really complex questions and problems that we have in our society now. And in order to do that, we've got to clear out all the clutter. We've got to clear out all that stuff. You know, that's why you feel good when you clean your house. You feel good after you have a garage sale. You feel good after you clean the garage or you clean out your refrigerator, you clean your closet because now it's all organized. You know, it's not, it's not burdening you. And the same thing goes with those thoughts that are in your head. You actually have to pull them out of your head, set them down, clarify them, 
place an action to them with the intended outcome and then put something to remind you to actually take that action. And I've, I've done it subconsciously, but now I see that he's actually created a whole system about it. And I'm so actually excited um, to read this book. And it takes me a while because I'm, I'm marking it and I'm writing it and I'm typing it. But I really want to share that with you guys. So please tune in next Wednesday and I'll tell you how far I've gotten in the book so far. Hopefully uh, most, if not all of it. And um, I can give you some highlights as to how to make your life a little bit better. So, you guys have a brilliant, lovely, wonderful morning, day, evening, night, whatever it is at the time you listen to this. And I will catch you next time. Take care. Bye.